When we're young, we move with freedom and confidence, with a great resilience to injury. But somewhere along the line, we develop poor habits and become more vulnerable to back pain. Back Pain Solutions features evidence-based and practical advice to help you take back control of your health and get back to the activities you love. This is your guide to better back health through movement. So join us as we demystify some of the commonly held beliefs about back pain and build your confidence to a stronger back the smart way. Welcome back to the Back Pain Solutions podcast. And as always, thank you guys for listening in. I'm Ben James, I'm your host. And I'm again, as always, with my co-host Jacob Stay. Morning, Jacob. Good morning, Ben. So we talked a lot so far about active recovery. We talked a lot about the different muscles that, that stabilize the spine and very much focusing on this this active approach. But that leads to the natural question from a lot of people. Well, should I just be exercising even if it's painful? Should I be exercising if I've had an acute injury? Where do we begin? And I think, Jacob, we, we talked about an interesting study here that would be a good place to start us off, not focused specifically about the low back, but about neck pain and whiplash, which I think would be a good, interesting point to to open the podcast today. So do you want to just take a, a minute or two just to go through that, and then we'll, we'll kind of dive in and, and dissect that? Sure. Uh, this study, it's, it's not a recent study. It's actually 1996, and it was called a study of neck injury arising from motor vehicle accidents and its clinical management. And so what they... Well, it was actually uh, a thesis of a PhD uh, student. But what they did is they took three groups and uh, all of them had a whiplash, cervical whiplash. And so they took one group and they they gave them the standard physiotherapy treatment, you know, uh, the typical soft tissue, some exercises. Took another group and they uh, didn't do anything to them. And as a control group, and then they sure. took a third group and they just immobilized their necks with a neck brace. And if I remember correctly, they didn't wear it at night, but they wore it during most of the day. And I'm not sure if it was four or six weeks, but it was a significant duration that they had to keep the brace on. Yeah. And and the interesting thing was, you know, my natural thought would be, well, the the guys who did exercises were recovering better and had better outcomes. But actually, the the group who immobilized, who, who were immobilized, had much better tissue repair, which they checked with MRIs afterwards. They had uh, better pain scores and they had better function. Interesting. So that leads to the natural question then: if you've got a low back acute injury should i immobilize that back for four to six weeks and actually how do i do that does that become more complicated to do because of the location of the injury compared to the neck which we know is easily mobile immobilized with a neck brace is that the reason why you may not do that or is that wrong for the low back yeah so see that's where it becomes very interesting we I don't think we can really put a brace around the low back, like you said. And so it's a little bit more difficult, but it comes back to what we, we, we've been saying also in other podcasts, but the spinal hygiene, understanding how to keep the, the core still, how to keep it fixed between the shoulders and the hips. I think that's where we would put our emphasis in actually allowing that healing to happen. And I think a lot of people think, okay, if, they understand that they have to not rotate through the spine, but how important is that really? It's it's a big deal to make sure that you understand how to not move through the spine. 
Yeah, and it's an interesting point actually. Now you now you start to now we start to discuss it because actually what we are saying is you do want to put that brace around the low back in exactly the same way you would immobilize the neck, but you're doing it naturally with your muscles and your movement and your healthy spine hygiene because that's far more difficult to do with the neck. To to stop yourself reacting and turning round, for example, is a very natural reaction maybe. So to immobilize the neck, are we actually getting the same outcome if we immobilize the low back, but we're just doing it with the muscles and the right movement and healthy spine hygiene? Yes. And I think, you know, considering that the the, the, the whiplash, that was an acute injury, but you most likely have a fair bit of tissue damage at the ligaments and maybe at parts of the spine as well, maybe yeah. some muscles also. So... It'd be fascinating to do, sorry to jump in there, Jacob. No, sure. It'd be fascinating to do a study which would be incredibly difficult to achieve. But the whiplash study with immobilization without the neck brace, but applying what we've talked about a lot with the low back to the neck. Now, how do you do that? Because that involves stopping or or training someone not to turn their head to react to someone calling them and etc. But would a an active-based recovery with some of the right exercises in terms of deep neck flexor stimulation and building the endurance there, with that braced immobilization naturally, would that actually lead to a better outcome than immobilization completely with a brace, if that makes sense? Yeah, but yeah, yeah, very difficult. Very yeah, difficult. Absolutely. But it, but it evokes an interesting point, doesn't it? Because what we're saying is actually with the low back, we do want to immobilize it but we're just not going to achieve that with a brace because there's not going to be a brace that that can truly do that. But healthy movement and right activation of the the appropriate muscles and bracing, as we've talked about before, will allow you to achieve that. Exactly, and that that's that's our goal actually is to, you know, if if you would move too much through the low back constantly, then you're obviously going to take the tissue in one direction. And it would probably be leading to a sort of instability, lack of tissue endurance, you know, and if we use the spinal hygiene and the correct movement, then we're taking it the other direction Mm -hmm. and that's giving stiffness, strength uh, to the tissue. And that's our goal. Yeah. And I guess the, the, with regards to acute um, pain and low back or or neck, the, the neck brace there is is preventing movement so in theory that's preventing any of those potential pain triggers or unhealthy movements that could lead to further damage and that allows the inflammation to do its job and for the tissue to heal in the low back the aim presumably of of what we call exercise or should we say an active based approach is in the acute phase is to learn to brace and move appropriately so we're again not aggravating those tissues we're just doing it in a different way so we're not necessarily saying do exercise at this point it's more about the healthy movements is that a fair summary do you think or are we saying well actually we can apply some of those exercises even in the acute phase that that are more considered exercises I think it's important to realize the exercises we use in the acute phase in the beginning is actually to create that brace Great point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that means that we're using those exercises to get the brain to understand 
how to isolate the movement. And I think that's what a lot of people forget. They, they think, okay, well, I've got to move through my spine. No, we've got to move through the ball and socket joints, the shoulders and the hips, but we've got to actively teach the brain through the correct exercises to create that brace around the core, which then allows the tissue to heal. Yeah, and I think that there's a great little summary for us there is that when we're when we're talking exercise, specifically in the acute phase for lower back, yes, we want to immobilize, but we want to immobilize through bracing and correct movement and healthy spine hygiene rather than it being exercise as in go for a run, uh, go swimming, do the normal things that you do. Yes, we don't want to uh, promote bed rest as it were so we're this active approach to recovery involves healthy movement and learning this spine hygiene and bracing as opposed to overt exercise i think that's the clear distinction there is we're not saying exercise to recover we're saying an active based recovery and just to clear that point up that active based recovery is about that healthy movement and bracing and hygiene so I think that's a really fair point. And that study with regards to whiplash is a, I think is a really interesting way to kind of drive that home because really we're getting the same result. We've just got to do it in a different way. Exactly, exactly. I also want to make a, a little bit of a distinction here between the acute low back injury and the chronic low back injury. Yes. And the difference in approach that we will take for that. So quite often with a chronic low back injury, you will end up with a, a sensitization. So that's where the, we've spoken about that before. It's where in other podcasts where the nervous system will also become a little bit more sensitive to feeling the pain or the irritation. Now there's multiple changes that happens and that can lead to this. But when this happens, we, we take an approach where the active recovery is, is of such even more so than just an acute injury to really limit the triggering or that to limit that pain trigger. Because in, if we keep that pain trigger going and we keep picking that scab, we, we keep that sensitization active. And that's, that's the first thing we want to do with uh, chronic low back injuries. We want to desensitize. Yeah, so again, we've, we've really got to be careful with picking the right exercises to be able to start to retrain that nervous system to, to kind of regulate that pain, dampen down that, that pain and that sensitization. And so are we saying, therefore, even some of the exercises that we would say are safe, neutral spine, if they're causing discomfort, should they be avoided or should we work into it a little bit if we know they're a safe exercise? is that yeah. a clear question they, they should they think uh yeah they should definitely be uh, avoided of course sure we, we we don't that was the question you started with in the very beginning ben and, and that's a very good point i mean we want to avoid anything that's going to cause pain especially when we have a sensitization going yes and it but it might be that that exercise is not painful for maybe three or four repetitions and that's where the other element is you know maybe the the intensity of the exercises that you do have also got to be regulated. It's not just about one exercise or another being uh, an aggravator, for want of a better term. 
It's also about the, the intensity. So you might do an exercise that is advised that is safe, that for four reps is okay. But once you start to get to five or six repetitions, it starts to get a bit uncomfortable. Well, work within that that pain tolerance. But certainly if it's causing discomfort immediately, then for now that exercise is the wrong one, at least at this point. Yes. And, and that's Absolutely. where there's, again, these exercises often have progressions. So we start at the baseline of these exercises and try and progress through so that they become more and more difficult or more and more um, progressive and challenging. But again, we, we start at a baseline at a, at a simple level and then work up. But again, if it's causing that pain and discomfort, then for the time being, it's the wrong exercise for you. Yeah. And similarly with walking, a lot of patients I would advise to go for a walk three times a day. Sometimes they will go for a long walk and they'll be like, yeah, you know, I can walk until 20, 25 minutes and it starts getting painful. Well, that's your tolerance. That's your tissue tolerance or maybe the sensitization tolerance that you have at that at that moment. So keep it below the 20, 25 minutes, keep it on 15 minutes. And as it gets better, you'll be able to increase that time that you actually walk. Yeah. And again, you know, as with any, any exercises, walking isn't just a simple case of, of walking as you may be doing it because naturally when we're in pain, we often become antalgic. So we we may bend forward, bend to the side. So if we're in those unhealthy positions, then that, that walking may be uncomfortable anyway. So it's important to be intentional with how you're walking, but Absolutely, like you say, if you're doing it in the right way with the with good posture, and after eight minutes it's it's uncomfortable, then eight minutes is your limit. But maybe try and do that three times a day, and then gradually increase as as always. So when we when we're talking about an active recovery, Jacob, basically what we're saying is we're not necessarily talking about exercises that people may get confused with. We're, we're talking an active based recovery is healthy movement, learning to brace, learning to do those things every day that are going to be beneficial in keeping that spine spine in neutral and then progressing through that, that core endurance as we talked before, but not overtly exercising. That's clearly not the aim. Exactly. And I think that you can be, you can much better be on the cautious side, not rushing that recovery plan and so when either someone's guiding you through this or you're following our program, you will know when you're supposed to go to the next step. And I think that's something that's very important. You know, there's, there's much, it's much more to your advantage to take your time, let the recovery, you know, especially if you're someone who's working at the same time as wanting your back to get better, uh, allow it to desensitize and then gradually work with your pain tolerance and slowly build up the exercise and the stability. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So when we're looking at the best recovery plan, what does that best recovery plan look like? And clearly that's going to be slightly different for different people in terms of the, the exercises that you may uh, be asked to do or that you should do. But in terms of a bit of a process, uh, just to break it down, and I guess, again, splitting that down with acute and, and chronic to some degree? I think for both chronic and acute, in a nutshell, as a summary, we would say, and we want to include, we want to include rest, enough rest, especially for the, the injured body part. And what do we so, mean by rest? 
So if I'm sitting, for example, I'm having more pressure going through my low back than when I would be standing. And if I'm lying down, especially on my tummy, and I don't feel any discomfort in my low back, I most likely have the, the least pressure through my, my disc or an injured back. And so that would be your best rest for the tissue or relaxation exercise. And I think example. that's the key point, isn't it? Rest for the tissue, not necessarily rest as in I'm just going to lie on the sofa all day or, the, or um, a couch, whatever you call it, or in bed all day. It's rest for the tissue specifically. Yeah. It, yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you're very busy working 60, 60 plus hours a week, then I think we would have to most likely consider you actually taking some rest as well from what you're doing. Otherwise, your body's not going to support you in that healing process. Yes, because there's, there's, there's the getting enough sleep and, and nutrition and other things that go alongside yes. it. So if you, if you give those tissues a rest by bracing and good hygiene, great. But if you're still working stupid hours a week and, and certainly doing some manual work, then yeah, we've, we've got to factor that in. Sure. Exactly. The body has a tolerance and we have to respect that. Absolutely. Okay, so rest. Next point would be hydration. Okay. A lot, of, a lot of people are actually dehydrated. And quite often that comes from not drinking enough water. Having four small cups of coffee a day is definitely not going to give you enough fluid. And I think when we get into the specifics of swelling and tissue healing, inflammation, then we realize how important it is for the cells doing the job, the recovery work, to have a, a good function uh, at the capillary level between the cells. And that process has a lot to do with being hydrated and also with the fact that you're a healthy individual and not experiencing any low-grade inflammation. That, that's another topic, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hydration, I, I mean, that would be another interesting study how much what is the average amount that, that people are drinking on a daily basis water we're talking about here um because like you say it's just so easy for people to become distracted and uh, and not drink that water or they drink the coffee for a pick-me-up so it's it's definitely got to be a, a consideration for overall health for everybody in general it has as has you know, nutritional needs and that's another key point right exactly that's the next point is to to, to have a sort of reference to know that you're getting all the nutrients into your body that you're going to need for that recovery. And I think not only having the nutrients for the recovery, but also limiting the things that's going to cause a sort of have a sort of inflammatory process or effect in your body. And, uh, you know, we can talk about arachidonic acid and all sorts of negative effects of eating too many omega-6 and uh, unsaturated fats, things that will stand in the way of the inflammation or inflammatory process doing its job properly. Yeah, and I think that's a great point because we often think of inflammation as a bad thing, but actually it's there naturally. Yes, it causes pain. That's to, to make our bodies aware of a problem. But inflammation is there to help promote the tissue he healing. And so nutrition and what we eat is going to contribute to the healthy physiology and and within that inflammation so if we're eating eating the right things to support the body then the body's going to respond 
much more effectively, much more efficiently, and that's going to help with tissue tissue repair. So nutrition is is a big big subject that that again is is underestimated, particularly when you're looking at something like low back pain, because for the majority of people, uh, and it, f- and for a fair reason, that there's not that link because we're just not taught or educated to to make that consideration. Uh, but absolutely. exactly. And then obviously the the last point correct movement and and the right amount yes exactly correct movement and the right and the right amount and um we just we just covered that i think yeah absolutely absolutely and and so why should we not rush into it and this is probably more for the for the athletes that are more inclined to say right i'm i'm active i'm healthy i've got this problem i'm just going to work through it i'm just going to go for it I think the biggest reason why we don't want to do something like that if you realize that you have a serious injury is the the sensitization we just talked about it's the injury becoming chronic and then having the potential to become more sensitive in the nerves and so the actual injury changing to a neuropathic problem yeah so what we're saying there is you're you're taking an active recovery great but actually what you're doing is maybe a either doing the wrong exercises, choosing the wrong exercises, or doing doing too much of them, or probably even worse, you're doing your normal exercise or maybe your normal training, which is going to be potentially far more demanding. But if you're continually aggravating those tissues, so the inflammation's there to help recovery, but you're continually aggravating the tissues, so that inflammatory response continues, and then gradually, like you say, that leads to this sensitization and this neuropathic pain potentially that is then going to be more difficult to remove because then some of the healthy exercises that instigated at the beginning at the right level at the right time would have been beneficial may also be causing some aggravation and discomfort and that's where we've got to start to to wind down that pain and dampen down that pain so rushing into it is great in the sense of motivation and determination to to take an active approach, but potentially very risky. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the first point. And the second one, I think that a lot of people overlook because it's quite often underneath the surface. And that is the complexity of the injury increases to to not only being, or not only the injury or injured tissue, but also surrounding tissues or surrounding muscles cramping up and becoming a real a real problem. So now you you don't only have a, 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 for example, a shoulder capsule irritation, but you've got all the rotator cuff muscles and maybe uh, uh, the you know your traps cramping up, and and now you've got radiating pain going down your arm, and you know a similar thing can happen in the low back, of course. Yeah. So now we're not we're not just talking about potentially aggravating the tissue already damaged. We're now starting to aggravate and cause a problem in other tissues and then like you say it becomes far more complex and far more difficult to to manage and then work our way out of which is a a really i think important point for those people that are naturally inclined to just work through the pain yeah and i think the the key there is to recognize the faulty movement and realize that okay or ask yourself is there a way how i can go in on this injury and actually fix the movement, fix the stability, get that joint centration working for my shoulder again in this example, 
And so you, you avoid it becoming more complex and you can get back to functioning in a normal way. Yeah, and again, that's back to the education and understanding what those right things should be as opposed to just thinking, well, I go to the gym, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just do shoulder press and work through the pain. Well, that, that's, that's not going to be beneficial. So it's important to, to get the right insight and input in terms of what, what those exercises should be, which is where hopefully we're, we're helping and contributing. So the consequences of that neuropathic pain we know in terms of that uh, central nervous system changes so the first step in that sense is that desensitization as we've as we've discussed yeah. that's the first step for these guys and again that's back to the right things the right intensity exactly exactly i think that's the big emphasis for today is understanding the intensity understanding what you have to do especially in the beginning to avoid that sensitization yes and 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 understanding the clear distinction between an active recovery versus exercise being your active recovery i think that's a really important point so what are the most common mistakes for you jacob that that you see uh we've we've discussed a lot here but some of the common mistakes obviously people rushing into it uh, people making a uh, getting it wrong in terms of exercise being an active based approach that's not what we're saying we're saying an active based approach has got to be a safe approach what are some of the other things that 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 you're seeing I think probably the most common thing is ignoring the pain triggers. Yes. You know, and then I think you'll agree people, and quite often it's, it's the right way to go. You know, you have a small, you feel something and you carry on and the body picks, picks up where it left off and you recover from that. But as soon as it, uh, it's sticking its neck out a little bit too much, maybe you should, uh, you should consider backing off a bit. Yeah, and I think some of it's about as well the awareness of those triggers because sometimes we're not we're not focusing on them, are we? We're we're kind of a, a lot of times you people would say, oh, "I just don't really know when it comes. I don't really know when I experience that pain. It's just there, or it's not." Actually, if you're really focusing on it, then those pain triggers may become more clear, which is why you know doing a pain diary or yes. making a pain diary is not not necessarily a bad thing. I think that's it. It's it's where you put your focus, and I think. Quite often we're so busy every day with the things that we feel is important, of course work, for example, uh, that we don't actually focus on those pain triggers and we we ignore them, we suppress them. But the moment we start paying attention to them, we'll realize, okay, oh, well, you know, every time I stand up, I feel it in my back, for example. Yeah, and I think that's a great conclusive point. Is that even a word? On on that point is pay attention and be aware of the pain triggers because if you don't then ultimately those pain triggers are going to make you aware by just becoming more problematic and that pain's going to get worse so that may be a, a good consideration for people so we're saying ignoring the pain triggers like we've said not giving the, the body the resources to recover so doing the wrong things and and too little rest for irritated tissues and again what we're saying there is too little rest because we're we're constantly aggravating those tissues uh, yeah the the poor movement or not enough good movement uh, and then yeah. building up too fast as well they're trying to progress too quickly it's you've got to be patient you've got to be patient yeah and what and about also, the, what about the kind of pharmacological side i know we kind of said jumping straight into the the nsaids what's the the, the risk there or the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories other medications as well 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think we quite often go too quickly for the NZ or the ibuprofen. Uh, you know, just because we think that, first of all, a lot of people think that inflammation is not our friend. I think, oh, I have swelling, you yes. know, traditionally, especially a few years ago, we were told, you know, you've got swelling, you've got to get that swelling down. But like we just mentioned, if your body has the resources, you're hydrated, uh, you have a, a relatively good uh, stability factor going on throughout the body, then your body should be able to take care of itself. And if it does, without the NZs, you'll, in most cases, actually get a better recovery. Uh, you know, the, the, the physiological process, quite often, and that's been shown in some studies as well, also with whiplash, is that you, you have a better tissue repair if you don't have the interference of the inflammation-blocking medication. Yeah, and again, the big danger there is that, that the NSAIDs or the, the medications take take the edge off the pain. Great, now I can just go and continue doing what I was doing before. And the problem there is that it's aggravating that tissue and then it's allowing it to become more sensitized and that, that issue that we've talked about becomes a problem without you necessarily realizing it as much because you're taking the edge off the pain with the pain medication. So we're not saying never use them. We're not saying that they they are always bad, but the realities are our body is incredible at healing itself and with the right nutrition, with the right movement, with the right active approach, support that inflammatory response. Don't try and take it away and mask the problem. Yes, and I, and I just want to add something there. Like myself, I've had numerous rugby injuries, you know, and then you have a fair bit of swelling and you can't turn your head, stiff neck or, you know, maybe I rolled an ankle. But I know and I knew back then that if I just stick to it and I go through sometimes a little bit of, well, actually excruciating pain for a couple of hours and I start moving again and I, I get going within a couple of days, quite often that injury would have recovered 80, 90 percent. Yes. Uh, you know, and I've, so I've had myself very good experiences with where I specifically chose not to use NZs. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned about the sprained ankle because the, a, a lot of the advice often is, is to put pressure on it and start to move. But what you're not going to do naturally and quite obviously, or more obviously, I would say for a lot of people is invert that ankle or turn it in and therefore stretch those tissues that that wouldn't make sense to most people but walking with it in neutral and putting some pressure on it probably makes more st sense so you're you're active recovery but you're not stressing those tissues and it's applying that same logic to the back but it's just sometimes a little bit more complex because it's not so obvious where the problem is and therefore which movements you should avoid so I think that's a really interesting example that you that you talk about there in terms of response to inflammation and, and not taking medications. But that active approach is beneficial and it kind of explains and uh, details and clarifies a little bit what we're talking about with the low back. And I guess any, any final point, stretching we know is a, a big one. We often see people want to stretch joints and muscles and things that, that feels comfortable, but really we want to avoid that. Exactly. So that comes back to our very, the very beginning of our discussion where we mentioned, you know, usually we want to go for an isolating effect with our exercises. So we don't want to mobilize, we don't want to stretch, you know, 
quite often I use the example with uh, my patients. I will say, well, so we have a very badly injured knee. Are we going to stretch the knee? And like, no, of course we're not going to stretch the knee. And similarly, we don't want to stretch any disc tissue or any, you know, irritated tissue in the low back. But I think the, the problem there is, is often that we have tightened up low back muscles. So we get this perception that we have to stretch the low back muscles. We have to hang forward or I have to rotate my shoulders on my hips and because it makes me feel better. But in reality, that stiffness is only a reaction to the actual injury. Yeah. And the brain is initiating that stiffness. And we should allow that, allow yeah. the stiffness. I mean, I'm not saying you should be still. Going for a walk would might loosen it up, you know. Uh, maybe lying on your tummy will loosen it up, but don't go and stretch through the low back. No, and I think it's interesting again um, that you mention about the knee. Often these things are, seem more obvious with some of the extremities, like the ankle we mentioned and the knee that you mentioned just then. The low back, we we don't seem to be applying the same logic sometimes. So I think yeah. that's a, a great a great point. And and again stretching that back is is doing all those things that we've talked about the the ignoring the pain triggers because you, you're going to be stretching through so it might feel a bit of a pain relief initially but actually the problem afterwards is going to potentially be worse and it's not giving those tissues enough rest because we're aggravating them by doing the stretching so again as always avoid those those stretches so jacob anything more you want to add there before we we draw this episode to a close the only thing i want to add and what i want to say maybe as part of the takeover message, Ben, is that we should not rush it. There's yeah. no need to rush it. Great point. Yeah, I think a great point to end, guys. That Look, active recovery is the best approach, but that's not to be confused with exercise uh, specifically. And avoid those triggers. Give those tissues time to rest. But, like Jacob says, you've got to be patient. These things take time. And if we want to get it right, we've got to be prepared to put that time in and allow and support those tissues to heal appropriately. So, as always, Jacob, thank you. And guys, thanks for listening. As always, please take the time to go over to iTunes, give us a rating. We're getting a few ratings on there now, which is great to see. It helps to spread the message, spread the word, and support more sufferers of back pain. And we'll continue. Get over to the website, take advantage of the resources there, and we'll catch you again soon on the next episode.